such a joy to be here. Um, that introduction was kind of uh, very interesting. The seasoned man. I love the word seasoned. It's better than old, isn't it? Seasoned. And uh, I was thinking, actually, um, I was being very envious of Joel because when he talked about his hair distracting people in worship, I thought I would love that problem. <laughs> oh, in a previous life, I had long ginger hair that used to flow down my back on the back of a motorbike, and it really, really a triumph, yeah. But things have changed, so thank you for having me. Uh, it's a joy. I want to read to you a passage, a well-known passage of Scripture um, from Matthew, Matthew chapter 14, and in verse... 12 to 33 it says these words immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd after he had dismissed them he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray later that night he was there alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from land buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, Tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. I want to talk to you this, morning, this afternoon about the power of imagination. The power of imagination. You probably... Many of you have probably never considered, actually, how much power your imagination has. We probably think of a lot of other things in life when it comes to power, but we probably don't give imagination the due respect it has when it comes down to the power and influence it has on our life. Let me just give you a couple of well-known quotes to remind you how others see the power of imagination. Albert Einstein, he said these words, and this is quite staggering when you think about it. He says, imagination is more important than knowledge. Just think about that. And then Napoleon Bonaparte, he says something just as equally amazing. He said, imagination rules the world. Lewis Carroll wrote the book Alice in Wonderland. In one section of that book, he says these words. Imagination is the only weapon in the war against reality. And then finally, Mark Twain said, reality can be beaten with enough 
imagination. That's an amazing thing to say. Okay, so I want to show you three things from this passage that should indicate to you the power of your imagination. So first of all, I want you to note this, is that your, your imagination can make your current reality redundant. Now this passage that we've read is an amazing passage. And one of the problems we have sometimes when we read passages from the Bible, you may have heard sermons before about Peter walking on the water and getting out of the boat. But one of the problems we have sometimes when it comes to a passage of scripture that, we, that we've heard or read many times is that we think we know it all. And I want to encourage you that when you read a passage of scripture, don't just read the words on the page, step into the words on the page. Glide yourself between the scripture verses. Get in there. So whatever scene in the Bible it is that you're reading, step into it. Look around. Smell the air. Look at what people are wearing. Listen to what they're saying. Pick up what's happening. So right now, I invite you to step into a boat. Just step into this boat. You know the story. Twelve disciples in a boat. It's a bad dark night. It's stormy. It's rough. It's a storm. In fact, it's so bad that the Bible tells us that they were rowing, 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 and yet they were getting nowhere. And John's Gospel tells us they were three to four miles from the shore in this lake. They had been rowing for hours. The storm was really, really bad. Now get in there. Just feel the spray of the storm. Feel the spray of the wave. Feel the, the resistance from the wind that's against them. Just feel it for a moment. Because I want you to listen to something that's going to be said in that boat soon that should really rock your world. Let me just say this to you before I kind of really get in going into this. I want you to notice something, that what they were in was not the problem. I want you to also, to, the boat was not the problem. Neither was the water a problem because boats need water. So the water wasn't the problem. What was the problem? The Bible says it very clearly. It says, because the wind was against them. Now, whether it be your family boat, your own boat, or a church boat, if you're going somewhere that's under the command of Jesus as they were, you can expect the times when your boat is going to get rocked. But notice, it's not the boat that's the problem. People sometimes say, oh, it's the church. The church is not the problem. So the times when your church will get rocked, particularly if it's on a mission to do what he says. But the boat is not the problem. Not even the waves are the problem. The problem is the wind, the enemy force that comes against us. That's another sermon altogether. But in the darkness, what happened here was this. Jesus approaches the boat with his disciples in it. He approached the boat walking on the water. Now notice that they were rowing and getting nowhere he was walking on the waves and getting somewhere. So in other words, what was slowing them down did not slow him down. When they're not making progress, Jesus is making progress. And learn this very, very, very important. No matter how strong the wind is that 
the enemy might bring against you, no matter how powerful that dark wind is, it cannot slow him down. You may feel it. He walks over it. He walks through it. My Jesus is the God of the storm. He conquers. He's higher. He's over every single thing that may come against you. His name is above every other name. Whatever the wind is called, whatever the storm is called, he is over that storm. In fact, in your life, what often is a storm to you is a pathway for him. He makes his way through the storm, your storm, to where you are to meet your need on that moment. So the disciples, they don't expect to see this because it's rough and it's getting towards dawn. It's in the darkest part of the night and Jesus approaches in the darkness. So they cry out because it's already bad enough. So they cry out in fear, thinking he's a ghost. And then it says this, Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I, don't be afraid. There's times in our life when we really would hope that the appearance of Jesus is far more clear than we can actually see at the time. How many times do we say, oh Jesus, I need to see you. Show me yourself, show your face, show me. I want to see you. Oh, I need, I need, Lord Jesus, I'll be, I'll be okay if I can just see you. But there's, very t- there's often times in our life where our vision of Jesus is not clear. It can, be, it can be blurred. The waves can be going over our head and we're trying to see and we can't see the waters in our eyes. The wind is blowing through our ears or through our hair if you've got any. But you, 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 you feel all this resistance and you say, Jesus, I can't see you, I can't see you. Listen, he spoke to them. Don't be afraid. When you can't see him clearly, listen to the voice you can hear clearly. What you need to hold on to in every storm is the word. When you can't see him clearly, read this. Hear it. Listen to what he is saying to you. And then we come to verse 28, which to me is one of the craziest, craziest, most wonderful verses in the whole Bible. Because this is where the story gets a different kind of a tangent. Because all these 12 disciples are soaked. It's a storm. They're rowing. He appears vaguely on walking on the water. And then this voice, this lone voice, speaks from that ship. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Have you ever wondered what makes a person say something like that. He didn't say like it happened in Deuteronomy or like it happened in the Psalms. There, nobody in human history had ever asked to walk on water ever before. Nobody, nobody, nobody. So what, what makes this person in the middle of a storm say, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. I'll tell you what, made, what makes that happen. The Bible says from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What was not in the hearts of 11 was in the heart of one. One person, one person. He didn't say, oh, thank God it's Jesus, let me help you into the boat. He didn't say, oh, Jesus, if it's you, tell this storm to just get us safely to shore. No, no, he didn't say any of that. He didn't even say, Jesus, if it's you, stop the storm. No, no, no. He simply said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. That is the power of imagination. You see, 11 disciples in that boat were stuck in their reality. 
But there was one who, by the power of imagination, was actually trying to make that reality redundant and experience something that was far better than the status quo in the middle of a storm. You see, Eleven was simply happy to accept their reality. But Peter was committed to making his reality redundant. It's imagination that changes the world. You only have to look around your home, look at the car you drive, and realize that all these things, you know, televisions used to be great big, whopping great boxes. Now people hang them on walls. Where did that come from? Somebody's imagination. You have a little, you know, the first car I had was a Wolseley 1500 that used to crank from the front. True. It had little kind of wings that came out to turn corners. It's true. I was courting at the time, it was the passion wagon, this Wolseley 1500. <laughs> Hair in those days. <laughs> the fact that I had a radio, or for those of my generation, a wireless in the car was wonderful. Somebody actually could talk in this car, came in from this little thing. Now, I've got a lady in the car that's always talking. It's called a sat-nav. In my day, satnaz, where did satnaz come from? Somebody's imagination. Imagination changes the world. Those things would never happen unless somebody had imagined it to happen. I want you to realize, when this wonderful thing happened, when Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water, I want you to notice here, it was not God's idea. Jesus didn't say, right, today we're going to have a lesson on walking on water. No, 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 no. This was Peter's idea came from his heart he listen to me you'll never go further than your dream your dream is your ceiling but Peter he raised the ceiling by his imagination he said something that when the, he said it the other disciples their eyes must have popped out thinking what a stupid thing to say if it's you tell me to come to you on the water they must have thought you listen to what Jesus is going to tell him now well, we need to listen to what Jesus was going to tell him then. You see, he could not help what he said because his imagination was now birthing a new and a better reality. Whilst others thought he'd lost the plot and they were still trying to row to the shore, one was dreaming of going somewhere else and experiencing and tasting the realm of the supernatural. So when he did say it, Lord, you see, to say, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water, you have to see yourself on the water before you say that. Otherwise, you don't say it. So he, he came out with this thing that came from his imagination. And as the disciples listened and waited, Jesus simply said, come, come, come. I believe it's very important that we notice something here. That God will not give you permission for something you can't imagine. If he hadn't imagined this, he would never have heard the word, come. You'd never need a rhema word from God unless you have a dream. You see, all the disciples in that boat had the presence of the logos, the word. 
that only one of the disciples in the boat got a rhema word from the Logos word. And that was the one who exercised the power of imagination to make his reality redundant. It's very interesting in Mark's gospel and Mark's account of this situation is that it says Jesus was about to pass them by. So why didn't he pass them by? He didn't pass them by because of one reason. Somebody's imagination. He stopped because somebody here had a dream of something amazing. Jesus, it caught Jesus. He's walking by and then suddenly this voice says, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Jesus stops. And by the way, he didn't stop the storm until this was all over. Because Jesus would rather spend time with somebody with a dream than keep 11 people safe in a boat. Come, come, Jesus says, come. And I want you to just ask this question. How many times, I wonder, does Jesus pass by churches because there is no imagination? No imagination because often a church can become so obsessed with its own reality. How many times do you miss out because Jesus is there and he's walking by, but you have no imagination because you're so focused on your current reality? I think the lesson here is very powerful. We all want miracles, but we have to imagine the miracle before we see the miracle. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, you have the woman there that suffered from doctors for 12 years. She's hemorrhaging. She's sick. She's ill. But one day, one day, she hears about Jesus. And the Bible says these words. She said to herself, or she thought to herself, she thought, if I can just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Notice that. She touched him in her mind before she touched him with her hand. You don't touch with your hand until you touch with your mind. She imagined the miracle. She felt the healing even before she received the healing. David imagined Goliath down before he was. It's no good going against Goliath if you're imagining in defeat. If you want to knock a giant down, you've got to see him down before you get there. So easy for us to try to, isn't it, to kind of just keep cursing the darkness, cursing the storm, and all this kind of stuff. But cursing the darkness doesn't bring light. And right now, don't we know how much our nation needs God? How desperate it is? Don't we kind of complain about this and see darkness here and see difficulty there and feel the storm here? And yes, our world is in great need. But listen to me. In a world of great need, we need people to imagine something greater than the current reality. We need to have people, Christians, Christ followers, God lovers, churches, who in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the darkness, actually can imagine the impact of a wonderful, powerful driving force of a glorious church that is passionate for God, that loves God, that serves God, and that believes that somehow 
that all the power of the enemy can come under the feet of the glorious marching church of Jesus Christ. We need to have that imagination that somehow we can bring heaven down to earth. We can lift up the name of Jesus over our reality. We can actually make our reality redundant through imagination that ushers in the glorious power of Jesus Christ. What kind of church can you imagine here in Manchester? What kind of church can you imagine? What's the picture that you have? What's the picture in your mind? What's your picture? Because whatever that picture is, you need to say, Lord, let it be. Let it be. Let, and God will say, come. That's the first thing. Secondly, I want you to see your imagination can clothe you in defeat and failure. It says, Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. He actually achieved what he imagined. Exactly what he asked for, he got. But then note very carefully, verse 30 says, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid. Why suddenly was he afraid of the wind? Because the wind had been there all the time. The Bible says the wind was there from the beginning, so when he got out of the boat, the wind was there. So why is the wind suddenly now a problem? The Bible tells us the answer. It says he saw it. Oh, suddenly, before, he wasn't seeing it. But now he's seeing it. And so suddenly what he sees that is negative actually creates a negative imagination in his heart. And so suddenly, it became a problem. So the imagination that took him beyond his reality the same imagination then brought him back to his reality because now the imagination had changed from positive to negative. I want you to notice very powerfully from this passage, it wasn't the waves that sank him. It wasn't the wind that sank him. He sank himself. He imagined himself drowning. He imagined himself sinking. He became afraid because he focused on the wind. The easiest time to see the wind is when you take your eyes off the word. Every one of us has an enemy that will do all he can to get our eyes off the word that's for us onto the wind that's against us. The wind can speak of anything in your life that's against you. Distraction, negative voices, doubts, opposition, challenges, hostility, sickness, whatever. But this is the point I want you to understand. When Jesus had come, he had total authority and power over that he walked on. But when he saw the wind, he actually empowered what was beneath him to have power over him. The Bible tells us that God has put the enemy under our feet. Under our feet. That's the truth. That's the word. But we can actually sadly annul the word by actually our imagination that creates this negative imagination that that which is under our feet, under his authority, actually can become over our head. And the water he had authority over, he lost that by negative imagination. That's why the Bible says we are to cast down imaginations. 
you know, a lot of Christians believe in casting out demons, but every Christian's got to believe in casting out imaginations. Your imaginations are powerful. Positive ones are powerful. Negative ones are powerful. And imaginations that are negative can come into all our lives. And if you actually give them a home, your life can live second rate for years and years and years. You have to cast down every thought, every imagination that's contrary to the word of Christ. You have to bring them down. If you don't bring them down, they will bring you down. You see, there are imaginations that will come to you. Many of them need to be empowered. Others need to be eradicated. And you must know when to empower and when to eradicate. The wind that was against Peter had no power over him until he gave it power in his mind. Let me just kind of quickly just mention one or two things. In church life, as a church like this that is so forward-looking, there will be projects and challenges and there will be great ideas and there can be exciting passion when, when you kind of launch on these things and you say, yes, yes, I see it, I see it, I see it. And then somehow at times the wind can come and instead of seeing it, you see the wind. Don't look at the wind. Don't give the wind power. Let that, let that empower you. Keep that in front of you. Keep imagining. We see that. We see that. We see that. We see that. And let me encourage you in the area of giving too. So often people look at things and they think, well, you know, I could actually invest in that. I could give to that. I could, in fact, sometimes, you know, the, uh, even a small need, it maybe it's a £5,000 for a church need and you think, well, I've got that in the bank. I could actually, I could actually give that. And so you imagine, you imagine actually investing something in something that is so worthwhile that can affect people's lives. And then you move and you see the wind and the wind says, but what about, you might need that next year. And if you give that now, you're not going to have it then. And you think, oh yeah, I'm not going to have it then. So suddenly, you've seen the wind against you and the wind has took your imagination. And so what was prompting to do something good from the desire of your heart, you've now bowed down to in a negative imagination. I'm moving on very fast, but let me just say this to you. There's times in your life when you will feel like Peter, incredible promptings of God to do something. It sounds crazy. It sounds crazy. But you feel it and you think, that sounds so exciting. I'm going to do it. So you reach out and you're just about to do it. But then what happens is that you think of the negative and it stops you from doing it. So in the end... What was going to be something that was going to write a story? The story is cancelled because of an imagination that actually should have been cast down, but you empowered it and lost out through it. Don't let what's against you paint the imaginations of your mind. Let him who is for you paint the imaginations of your mind. And never forget that Jesus always walks on top of that which threatens you and which is against you. Third thing I want you to see is this, is that your imagination can frame your greatest prayers. Yes. Ephesians 3, I understand Pastor Glenn was talking about this last week. 
There's a verse in Ephesians 3 that says this. Verse 20, now to him who is able to carry out his purpose and to do super abundantly more than all we dare ask or think, infinitely beyond our greatest prayers, hopes or dreams, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Now listen to me. When Peter said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water, that was a prayer. It sounded a crazy prayer. How, why, why would God want to answer a prayer like that? Let me tell you something. The Bible encourages us to pray huge prayers from our imagination, not from our reason, not from our logic, not from our brains, but from our imagination. You will find that not everything you pray will get answered by God. And we all know, and we should all thank God, that there's good reasons for that to happen. But the point is this. No prayer that you can ever pray can be too big for God to handle. You've got to understand that. You don't have to pray small prayers to a big God. God can cope with big prayers. In fact, we are encouraged to pray why on earth would God put that in his word? Paul, tell them, tell them that I can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that they can ask or even think or imagine or dream. Tell them, Paul. Tell the church, Paul. Tell them I'm that kind of God. We don't need to ask prayers that we think are within God's little ability. We don't need either to come to God sort of like little timid Christians, little timid children thinking, I don't want to offend God by asking for something big. I was raised in a Christian family and I was the oldest of three boys. And our parents used to take us out to other Christians' houses and we'd have to have tea there. And I don't know about you, but we always got a telling a lecture before we went into somebody's house. At the table, sit there, don't speak until you've been spoken to. Sit there. So we just sit there like good little boys and we were told, don't touch the cakes or the biscuits until you're offered one. And so what would happen is this. We would sit there and also we were told, I only take one. I only take one. There's others in the room, you know. There's others in the room. I only take one. You know what? My heavenly father's not like that. He says, I don't, want, I don't want one biscuit kids. I want five biscuit kids. I want 10 biscuit kids. I want hungry kids. I want kids that say, give me 20 biscuits. Give me 30 chocolate fingers. I want, I want, my God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask for or even imagine or dream. Do you know often, do you know often what happens is this? We pray boldly for little things. We pray loud and bold for little things. We insult God with small dreams. We insult God with small expectations. We insult God. And God has greater things for us. 
When was the last time you prayed from your imagination? When was the last time you prayed unreasonable prayers? Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. When was the last time you prayed like that? When was the last time you prayed something in heaven thought, that's interesting. That sounds a good idea. I want you to know this morning, every time you approach the throne of God, there's a sign on the throne room of heaven, a huge sign that says these words. Big imaginations welcome here. Huge imaginations welcome here. Now as I come to close, I want you to recognize this. Peter suddenly realized he put his eyes on the wrong thing and he was now sinking through a negative imagination. So he cries out, Lord save me. And it says immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Now I want you to know this, God could have ended the chapter there with these words, and Peter drowned. That's it. And then I'd have been preaching to you this morning, and listen friends, be very careful about your imaginations. You know what happened to Peter? He drowned. But it doesn't say Peter drowned. It says immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Listen to me. Jesus would rather spend time catching you than sitting in a boat with people without a dream. And then finally, finally I want you to note this, that when Jesus caught him, have you ever thought what he did with him then? He caught him. I don't, you know, the boat wasn't there when they were here. Because Jesus was quite a way off because they couldn't even see him, he was vague. And also because it said Jesus, Peter said, can I tell me to come to you? So Peter left the boat and walked towards Jesus. They weren't next to the boat. Peter begins to sink and Jesus raises him up. So what happened then? Did he say, get on my back? Did he say, let's swim? What the Bible tells me is this. It says they both climbed into the boat. So they both climbed into the boat. They both got back to the boat. How did they get back to the boat? Let me tell you something. Peter may have sank after walking, but he walked again after sinking. God, God has a plan for your life and it's not to end in failure. The plan of God for your life is success after failure, success after failure, success after failure. Listen to me. You may have slipped up. You may have slipped up. You may have got drenched. You, you may even now be in a time and say, oh God, I'm not so sure, you know, not so sure. Please help me, please help me, please help me. Listen to me. Listen to me. Dream again. Dream again. Dream again. Don't ever let the thought enter your head that somehow, that your imagination, when God says come, is going to actually drop you in it. When God says come, you have the supreme authority over everything that faces your life. Supreme authority. So as I close today, I want to ask you a question. Is there anybody here that needs to learn to dream again? So anybody here that said, well, I got really wet last time. Time to dry off and dream again. Is there anybody here who needs to cast down some imaginations today? Anybody here who thinks, oh yeah, 
I get getting chewed up every day. I have all these good thoughts and I have all these crazy thoughts. Listen, you give a home to your good thoughts. You show the exit door to your bad thoughts. You have to cast them down. Those negative thoughts that say you'll never get that job. Those negative thoughts that say you're never going to have a partner. Those negative thoughts who say that arm's never going to move again. The negative thoughts that say you're always going to be sick. You have to cast them down. Cast them down. Cast them down. Cast out all those negative imaginations. Because there is a God in heaven today who loves you, who cares for you, and says, no matter what I can do for you, exceedingly, abundantly, above all you can ask, dream, imagine, or even think. That's the God that's in this place today. That's the God that we worship today. That's the God that we love today. He's awesome. He's wonderful. He's a great God. He's a big God. And he's got great plans for you and great plans for this church. May God bless you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.